the Tefl Commute, Season 7, bonus episode, in which we celebrate our third birthday. and welcome to the Tefl Commute. This is episode one, the very first pilot episode of a new podcast for English language teachers. I'm Lindsay Clanfield. And I'm Sean Wilden. And we're going to be your host for this podcast, which is about, well, it's going to be about a lot of things. Yeah, we're both English teachers and teacher trainers, but we're also keen podcast listeners ourselves. And we wanted to make a podcast that would address different aspects of the English teacher's life in a light-hearted way. This is not going to be a podcast for heavy discussions or anything about language change, dogma, or the benefits and drawbacks of technology in the language classroom, or even the native versus non-native teacher debate, although we may touch upon those things. We prefer to approach the field of TEFL from a different angle. We want to share interesting facts and things we've discovered, give our listeners ideas for classes, and really just have a bit of fun with it. Fun with it. Fun with it. Fun with it. Hi there, this is Sean. And for once, I don't think it's Lindsay. Hello? Hello there. No, it's the substitutes. The emergency last-minute substitute. Is that my third birthday present? Get rid of <laughs> get rid of Lindsay and bring James on. Yeah, exactly. Hello, everyone. This is producer James stepping in front of the microphone, as I do every now and again. So anyway, come on. I know Lindsay isn't here, Sean, but we have to do the traditional opening, so... Go, you go ahead. Oh, well, I can, I can, I can never get it right. So it's over to you. This is the Tefl Commute, a podcast about something that something okay, comes right, up let me, never does. Let, let me try. This is, uh, this is a podcast uh, for language teachers, which isn't about language teaching, although the subject invariably crops up. How was that? Well done. That's that good. Bad, and, 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 and that was good. And you did that in one take, because of course, normally when we do when we when we start a recording of the Tefl Commute, Lizzie takes like three or four takes to actually get that right. But yeah, he you does. always choose the, the, the correct one. Anyway, the the, the 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 intro you just heard with Lindsay's voice was our very first intro, which was three years ago, um, pretty much this week, where um we where Lindsay, James and I had this idea of uh, producing a kind of irreverent podcast about uh, English language teaching to try and keep teachers amused on their uh on their daily commute to and from work which is why the very first episode was called commute and here are some of the teachers who appeared in that vox pop what's your commute it usually takes me about 20 to 25 minutes by car but if the traffic is bad it really takes up to 45 minutes um, yes, I commute to work, um, and it takes me about five minutes to get there. Uh, it's about an hour. I go by bicycle, train, and if it's raining, bus also. If it's not raining, I walk. I live about an hour from the office where I work, and I used to get the train, which took almost two hours. It takes over an hour if the traffic is cooperative. I could use the metro, but I prefer to drive. Not only is it more convenient, but I also love driving. I take the bus to work. It's about 10 minutes on the bus, and then I walk another 10. Depending on traffic, 10 to 12 minutes. It's funny. I wonder how many of them still listen, uh, Jane. Well, all of them, all of them I hope. 
we'll see. No, uh, we'll check them out. It's actually I, one of the things that's given this has kind of always been our hobby. Um, it's it's um, it's great how much people have actually contributed uh, to the Telford commute. And if I may. Um, kind of, you know, when you do these these look back episodes. If I may go back to something I really enjoyed, there was a, I think it was season four, episode six, when we kind of, when we, one of the episodes we did on music, and it was Lindsay put out a Facebook call mm -hmm. and got people to kind of suggest song lyrics that were changed to teaching in some way. Do you remember that? And and then yeah. Do you remember? I, I, I still think there was, there was something about the total eclipse of the heart or total ellipses of the heart. That's what it was. <laughs> yes. I, I, I remember that. Yeah, you love that, Sean, don't you? Because you, you love a pun and a play on words. And... Well, that might have come up in it before. So I think it would be uh, um, good to listen to that top ten again, which if I remember your, your wonderful editing skills also put the good top ten music on it. <laughs> so from season four... Here are our top 10, uh, or your listeners, uh, top 10 twisted lyrics about teaching. The first one that we've got here is Clill Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon. And that would be followed up by Girlfriend in a Comma by The Smiths. The next one, great bit of wordplay here, Total Ellipsis of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And continuing with that wordplay, it's Walk Like an Elision by the Bangles. Another favourite of mine here, The Final Countdown by Europe. Another favourite of yours because you thought of that one. Um, <laughs> continuing on the countdown, Baby You Can Drive My Schwa by the Beatles. You Can Teach This by MC Hammer. And followed by Under <laughs> the Boardwork by the Drifters. Apologize for the singing. Now, the next one, I don't know the original artist. I'm sure someone could tell us, but this one was a favorite of ours. Is How much is that dog me in the window? Continuing the countdown then, we've got Simply the Nest by Tina Turner. Or it Tina could Turner. be Simply the Nest. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, it works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Right. Be yeah. Better than all the nests. <laughs> Okay, the next one, another one that made us all laugh is Give PPPs a Chance by John Lennon. Yes, definitely a song for this day and age. Uh, perhaps we all need the next one as well, which is a bit of Lexical Healing by Marvin Gaye. And closing off our list is Better the Tuffle You Know by Kylie Minogue. Uh, and are we going to mention the one that we kind of we didn't put in because but we all really loved and we didn't put it in because it was about a person rather than uh, rather than something specifically healthy? Yes, and that was Harmer, 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 Harmer Chameleon by Culture Club. Harmer Chameleon. Uh, so actually, referring to another episode, yous all contributed to that. Because I think one of the times we let you on the mic, James, you, you were talking about yous or something. Yeah, yeah, I was complaining. <laughs> it was the first Room 101 episode. I was complaining about English having a lack of uh, a plural you and uh, ah, use being use. one of the options. Although, like I said at the time, from where I'm from, we say, oh, you lot. But uh, That's yeah. right. And, and actually, late, later on in this season, there is uh, another Room 101 coming. Yes, there is a, yep, there's another yes. one coming up, and it's a very good episode, I can tell everyone in advance. And uh, as, usual, <laughs> as usual, the most controversial person is Sean. So. Me? Uh, uh, <laughs> Moi? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, 
So if you know, if, uh, people have often asked us how we record the TEFL commute. And of course, uh, I'm based in the UK. Lindsay's based in Spain. And James is based in Brazil uh, now. I'm Actually, you weren't in Brazil when we started, were you? I don't think. But you're, you're in Brazil now, which obviously makes recording face-to-face -face quite difficult. So the way we do it is through uh, complicated setups uh, and software. Yeah. Yeah, and we've never been we've never been in the same place at the same time, have we? No, no, no. I think there is a plan to try and do it uh, do it at next year's Ayatafel, but we'll see what Lindsay's there. However, it's probably a good good thing because the was I think it was uh, early in season one. No, it was the last episode of season one, uh, which was called Gifts, and Lindsay happened to be in the UK for a business trip, so we did try to meet up and record face to face, uh, and this is what happened. Uh, Lizzie, um, Lizzie, we should perhaps explain to the audience uh, the difference in the sound all of a sudden. Yes, that's true. Um, we started recording this last week when we were coinciding in Oxford. I was on a business trip to Oxford and uh, Sean lives there and we met and um, started the recording. It was our first time doing a live recording face to face. Uh, to celebrate it, Sean even gave me a gift. But then we were kicked out for apparently speaking at the top of our voices, wasn't that it? Charlie? Yeah, she. Uh, the woman was trying to. Woman, we 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 got into the cafe when it was empty, uh, and um, by the time we started, there was a woman reading a newspaper who was possibly the rudest woman I've ever met. Exactly, <laughs> and it shocked us so much. We kind of left in a hurry, then tried somewhere else, but it was too noisy because everyone else was speaking in the other cafe. Uh, then we tried outside, and now we're back on our regular at a distance way to finish the podcast. Uh, so it was so embarrassing. She <laughs> she just shouted at us. I mean, I mean, it's just like this woman coming up to us and shouting as we got told off know. for recording. I know. You were so traumatised. Oh. You've, you've never tried again, right? <laughs> No, we've never done it, we should, but we really should try at one point. So, of course, um, James, myself, and uh, Lindsay are the mainstay presenters, but we do we consider ourselves as a, a four-presenting team, and our fourth presenter is whom, James? Our fourth presenter is Kerry, also based in Spain. So, uh, uh, Kerry Jones uh, steps in from time to time. She is a guest. Uh, well, she, we call her the fourth presenter, although she's not with us regularly. Uh, and one of the things she does, uh, apart from take place in the top part in the round tables, is uh, she brings us a little snippet called Kerry's Corner. So, here's Kerry's Corner from our, our episode on Explicit. So, I think... Um when it comes to dealing with um, swearing in class, I mean, you know, when students swear in class or use swear words in class, um, there are three basic approaches. So uh, the first one is a zero tolerance approach. So you just ban it, you know, so ban it, come down hard on the transgressors, that's it, not allowed. And I guess this is, you know, um, common in young learners classes and in institutions where it would be considered totally inappropriate to have students wearing, um, using sorry, bad words in class. Um, then a second approach is kind of more of a softly, softly approach. Um, and it could also be thought of as a kind of a crowdsourcing approach, I guess, where you have your swear box and um, students, you know, drop in their 5p, 5 cents, whatever, every time they swear in class. 
And if you have a really sweary group, uh, or they like the idea of a good end-of-term party, well, um, that could definitely finance uh, a couple of drinks at the end of term. Um, and, of course, the, the third approach is the um, teach-it approach, you know, so... Uh, if swearing comes up in class, well, then just make the most of it. Turn it into, turn it into a lesson. You know, sort of um, look at the appropriacy of swear words. The uh, who would you or wouldn't you swear in front of? Maybe even get into what are your favourite swear words or whatever. And um, I'd like to share one um, very little lesson idea that's one of my favourites. And um, I have to credit a French friend of mine in Madrid for the idea because um, he was really fascinated by this possibility of embedding swear words into adjectives, you know, sort of, so you get something like ban bloody tastic or a fucking amazing, you know, something along those lines. But the thing was that he really, really wanted to be able to do it, but he could never quite get it right so he you kind of have something like fantastic bloody tick and it really doesn't quite work does it and and um, he got me kind of thinking about it of course it all comes down to to word stress you know uh you can only place that swear word in one place in the word so um i'm gonna kind of leave you with one to think about um what about this one unbelievable Add the swear word of your choice to that. And um, apart from then, as a kind of, in the round table, we do these round tables. I mean, I don't know if people realise. Do you think people realise that we deliberately do one kind of round table thing every every uh, season? Well, as long as they uh, um, as long as they enjoy listening to it, it's okay if they don't realise. Yeah. So, but it's always so, it's always one the, of the the highlights, isn't it, of uh, of a season for us? Is we enjoy getting the four of us together because it's a little bit more chaotic. Uh, than than a normal episode, isn't it? I think it's harder because you can't see that. I mean, it's bad enough. It's okay when there's only two of us trying to turn take because you can't see the person. Because uh, I mean, there are times when obviously we talk over each other, uh, which you kind of limit in your editing. But when there are mm-hmm. four of us, I think it's on microphone. It get it gets quite difficult. The first round table we did uh, was we'd all happened to be talking about uh, Dead Poets Society, so we decided to do an episode on it. So here's a little bit of one of our roundtables from uh, the Dead Poets episode. I made a couple of notes about methods that I noticed, not not, not relating to ELT methods, but just things that I did and just want to throw them out and see what you guys think here. So for example, I've got method. Um, I stand on my desk to constantly remind myself we must look at things in a different way. So I suppose that's sort of methodologically trying to always get students to look at things in a different way. Um, What about the the other one where he's... um, getting them to read a line of poetry outside while they kick a football and while listening to classical music. Come on, Meeks, listen to the music! To dance, clap hands, exalt, shout, skip, roll on, float, on, yes! Justopedia, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that Mr. Keating is doing a suggestopedia or is it a total physical response? Kind of a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of methodology in the film. I mean, we were talking earlier, Lindsay, about the ripping the pages out of the book being kind of eschewing course books and then there's dogma. So, did Miss, is is John Keating responsible for dogma? 
It's, it's, it's that scene. It's that scene. There's that, that famous scene because he's sort of shouting, like he yells at them to do it as well. He says, rip it out! Rip it out! Yeah, we will get on to his yelling later maybe because that's something that really irks me in the film. Yeah. That was really fun. That episode, Sean, was it? We'll have to do a. We'd have to do another one like that. I think we'd have to choose another movie. If anyone wants to suggest one, then let us know. Maybe we could talk about that one. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the that we've 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 talked about doing another another movie or a book. But the problem is, none of us can agree which is the next best example of a teaching one. So yeah, this is a good chance for uh, somebody listening to suggest something which we should all uh, either watch or read and get and get it because we do we did we did enjoy that episode. It was good. Anyway, Captain, my Captain, we have been lucky enough to have lots of guests on, on uh, over the last three years uh, from all walks of the ELT life. So let's just play a few of them now. Uh, in order, you'll probably hear Sinead talking about a schwa, Julie talking about dictionaries, Scott on from the episode on Life Sentence, and one of my favourite episodes, Ben, uh, on, our, uh, on our sort of walkthrough video and film in ELT. The story, right. Uh, well, I, it kind of has a number of parts, this thing. I, I thought about it for about, um, I thought about the tattoo for a long time because I've always wanted to get a tattoo. Um, but I think that I, I didn't want to be, wanna, didn't want to have one of those kind of generic tattoos. You know, I think if you're going to scar yourself for life, I think it should be something that's like a Chinese lettering that probably yeah. means, you know, bathroom down the, the right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I didn't want to be one of those fake hipster chicks, you know. Okay. Um, and I spent uh, a month in India working with some, uh, working with some trainees. And I had these students. English teaching, um, teaching, English teaching trainees, right? English teaching, yeah, training teachers. And I had um, I had a bunch of students who were in the classes for practice lessons. And I had to teach a demonstration lesson the first day I arrived. And okay. I went into this classroom and these students were sort of 18 to 19. I was told that they were B1 level. Um, when I arrived in the class, they couldn't understand, or at least they seemed not to understand a word I said. And so I very quickly had to recalibrate, throw the lesson out the door and start again. And so I went to a, a kind of a stock lesson that I have in the back of my brain, which is using auxiliary for or weak forms of auxiliary verbs uh, to produce questions on can, can you, do, and have you. Yeah. And so I did this lesson and, and by the end of the class, they were all producing wonderful questions and running around the room in a mingle going, can you speak French? Do you like this? Have you got me brothers? Blah, 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 blah. But basically I came out of this process feeling like incredibly proud of myself. But then I also sort of walked away thinking about the context that I was in. And about six months later, I realized that maybe, you know, that maybe the context that I was in this, teaching this weak form wasn't the most useful thing for these learners um, because the Shoah isn't massively prevalent in Indian English. So and it was so a it, punishment then? It's kind of a reminder to me oh, right to so. like check yourself before you wreck yourself, I guess, you know, kind of consider the, the context that you're in. I, we both understand that a lexicographer is someone who kind of does stuff with dictionaries, but what exactly do you do do you like just write definitions for words or what, what kind of work does a lexicographer do okay so um it's kind of mixed but if we're starting on a new dictionary um then we actually start from scratch and we research the words so we use a corpus and we we research the the meanings of words 
and then we use that information to write definitions, to give grammar information, write examples, everything that you would see in a learner's dictionary. Okay. And 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 how like so you start with corpus stuff. Is this being is this a more recent thing in your work or have you always well, I mean, tell us how you became a lexicographer first, uh, and then and then we'll get into some other questions. So, what was your route? Okay, my route. Um, I started off as a general EFL teacher, um, but I realised that teaching really wasn't quite my thing. The thing that I really enjoyed was explaining words to students. So, I I did um, a master's. Um, and I specialized in corpus linguistics and lexicography. Um, and so that gave me the, the basis. And then I got a job with one of the big dictionary publishers and they trained me to write dictionaries. And I've taken it from there. I get a lot of um, cheap laughs out of uh, citing examples from old course books. Uh, and you know, challenging the audience to think of a, a context in which these sentences would be used. Go on, give, uh, give us a couple then. Oh well, okay, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a one from it. Said actually, I mean, to be fair, it's, it was printed. I'm just looking at the date here, 1876. But it's a kind of juxtaposition of the sentences, which is so bizarre. Including as well. So here's a sequence from a, an exercise, a translation exercise. Have we had the mattresses of the foreigners? We have not had them. Has the Englishman had my good work? He has had it. Has your aunt had my fine pencil? <laughs> she has had it. Has she had my gold <laughs> candlestick? And so <laughs> as it goes on. And then there's one more recent one, which I get a lot of laughs up from, which is a bit more like what you're describing of Ken's one of the, but again, difficult to think of a context. This is my head. My brain is in my head. On this and on this side of your head is an ear, and on this side of your face is an eye. It's a bit like maybe a cubist like a painter describing. <laughs> yes, or, yeah, the castle thing. Yes, a toe of your right foot is on the seat. Your neck is bent. Now, I mean, I challenge you. I suppose a doctor. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I have to tell you this, but your X, your X-ray showed that your neck is bent. The first VHS um, cassettes I used were the first sort of publisher made ones. Uh, I think it was Grapevine was the first series uh, that I used published by Oxford. And uh, that was very typical of the, of the, of the genre uh, at the time, which was these very, um, I don't know how many of the listeners will remember Grapevine. Of course, you have to be of a certain age to remember <laughs> uh, those series. But they were these kind of comedy sketches, weren't they? Um, that's right, very that's right. Very professionally directed. Uh, I actually did a bit of research. They were made by Peter and Karen Viney. Well, that was the idea behind them, the concept. But they were directed, actually, by a guy called Bob Spears, who used to direct things like Forty Towers and Dad's Army and stuff like you know. So it was wow. um, okay. Yeah, and that said it all. I think that says it all for how ELT video was perceived at the time. We're talking so early nineties, aren't we? Or oh, late eighties, early nineties when I first started teaching. In fact. And it, it really was kind of the kind of comedy, the comic sketch. Do you have a favourite guest, James? Oh, that's a, that's a difficult question. 
no, I mean, I think uh, one of the things I've always enjoyed on the podcast is when we've been able to bring in, you know, outside voices. So uh, I don't, you know, I don't just have to listen to you and Lindsay uh, when I'm doing the editing. <laughs> but no, no, I think it's always nice to hear uh, from uh, different people's perspectives. And we always try and bringing other people's voices as much as we can, don't we? Uh, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, I mean people are probably tired of Lindsay and I, so it's good to, to break up what we're doing uh, uh, with it. Of course, one of the voices that has appeared regularly through a number of seasons is the voice of our Facebook philosophy. Uh, one of our favourite, favourite parts uh, of the, the uh, TEFL community, I think J uh, James would agree. So here are some random words of wisdom from our Facebook philosopher. Teaching is the profession that teaches all other professions. Author unknown. Every student can learn, just not on the same day or in the same way. George Evans When you're having a rough day, the students aren't listening and you're ready to start yelling. Pick a kid who you love and Write a letter to their parents about why you love having their child as a student. Author unknown. No one's ever realised who it is, have they? We've never said who we it is, I don't think, James. Yeah, and I, th I think, um, I don't know, I, I think that I really always really enjoyed that feature because it was quite cheeky and and uh, and it's the way we present it as being kind of meaningful when it's completely meaningless i always thought it was a nice change of I'd tone and, and and a really not a funny thing yeah it's gonna say it's less so now but i mean i don't think people actually believe us that they all are facebook they are things that appear on those memes on facebook and we just collect them up and and get the voice to yeah. to do so them. do you think we should uh, tell uh, people uh, who who the voice was should we reveal it here for our loyal listeners okay so so for for five seasons the voice of the uh, the angel was luke medins uh, and uh, we couldn't um, coming up to the season six, the the previous season, uh, we we kind of people had stopped putting uh, random crap on Facebook. So we <laughs> we actually changed. <laughs> yes. We actually changed the uh, the thing. The where did the quotes come from for season six? It wasn't Facebook. It was I don't think again we've never we we did say we'd tell people. But um, it was was it you that found the no no it was it was you and one of your belts of procrastination Sean uh, that uh, you found that website right what was what was it oh yes yeah yeah that's right it's the artificial intelligence website whose name escapes you now as I'm trying to say so all those all the words of wisdom in season six are actually from artificial intelligence there is a website which will randomize uh, artif artificially quotes for you uh, which will put on the show notes for this one. So obviously we've had uh, we've got the 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 staple team we've got the guests we've got the angels we've got artificial intelligence, and of course we've got the end of pod voice, um, who again uh, probably doesn't get credited very often, and that's Nikki who's based in the Czech Czech Republic and who always reads our end of pod activity for us. Uh, of course, the end of pod activity is perhaps the closest we get to teaching, and here's an example. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. Find the lyrics of a song that tells a story. 
paste them into a Word document, but make the text look more like a paragraph than lyrics. Select a few words and replace them with translations in the student's language. Alternatively, replace some keywords with blanks and provide definitions. Give the text to the students, but don't tell them it's a song. Ask them to either find the words and translate them back to English, or complete the gaps with the correct words for the definitions. When they've finished, tell them that this is a song. Play the song and let them check their answers. Keeping the song bit secret until the end makes for a pleasant surprise and provides a real reason to listen. I'm not sure about the next bit. In the show notes, does it really say we let the producer have a section every now and then, James? Is that true? Do we, well, we used to. I think, you know, I don't know. if You, you got a bit uncomfortable with my... Uh, <laughs> as I started to appear more and more, they thought, oh, hold on a minute, we need to rein this in. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Uh, that's true. But, no, that's not fair. I, you, I actually but it did When I was going looking back over all the episodes on this, it's a while since we've had, had you do a dropping. And I, uh, yeah. what I like about your dropping, apart from the words of wisdom is it's got a really groovy little uh, tune that goes yeah in. i gave myself a, a funky little number to talk over so yes it was, it was very funky <laughs> uh so now that so now that you're studying uh, what james has been very busy studying have, yes. uh, um so but now that you're coming to an end of your study maybe we can bring back the feature so yeah. i think james is uh, james is popular feature um, I'll say popular, even though we've got no statistics to prove yeah. that. Uh, was caught was jargon buster. So here's James from season three bringing us some jargon. Greetings, Homo sapiens. It's your jargon buster back again with another missive from the front line of verbal confusion. In this dispatch, I'm looking at a group of words which, while very similar, are far from homogenous. That's right, it's time to dive into homonyms, homophones, homographs and heteronyms. Now, I don't know about you, but I always struggle to keep these definitions straight in my head. Maybe you found yourself, like me, saying, oh yeah, that's one of those um, homo, uh, homo homonyms. I can never remember which is which. Well, Today's the day we remember, friends. Okay, let's go. Our first word is homonym. This is a word which sounds alike but has different meanings. For example, fair, F-A-I-R. In my concise English dictionary, this word has 10 different meanings, including reasonable, light, fine and dry, a gathering of stalls and entertainments for public amusement, and in Australia and New Zealand, unquestionable. All with the same spelling, F-A-I-R. If we think about adding the word fair to this mix, that's F-A-R-E, then we get another five meanings, including cost of a bus or train ticket and to get along. That's because this spelling of fair is a homophone, a different type of homonym that sounds alike and has different meanings but also has a different spelling. So what then is a homograph? Well, this is a word that is spelled the same, but has different meanings, which probably sounds a bit like what I just said, but take note, there's no mention of pronunciation here. So fair, meaning reasonable, as in that's a fair price, and fair meaning light, as in he's got fair hair, 
are not only homonyms, but they are also homographs. But because pronunciation isn't important here, it would also include the word bass or bass, which is spelled B-A-S-S -S in both words, but can mean a type of fish, pronounced bass, or the thing in music that annoys your neighbours, pronounced bass. Are you still with me? Good, because there's one more word for us to learn. A heteronym is a type of homograph that is also spelled the same and has different meanings, but sounds different. In other words, they are homographs that are not homophones, which should sound familiar. That's right, bass and bass are heteronyms, as are the examples they were too close to the door to close it, and don't desert me here in the desert. So now, after I have presented this linguistic present to you, it's time for you to produce the produce. And if you don't think I've successfully intimated this to you intimately enough, let's not row about it. Until next time, this is your Jargon Buster signing off. Isn't it nice to hear my own voice there? <laughs> but, no, but seriously, well, probably, probably I, good. I think I'll have to bring back the jargon buster because let's be honest, there is no shortage of jargon in our particular business, is there? No, no, not at all. We've covered quite a bit. That that one in particular, the one on NIMS and, and phones and stuff, is, is yeah. always. Good. And I'll be honest yeah, with let's, you. Let's I'll be about. honest with you. I still can't remember all of those words, even though I did the jargon buster on it. I still get confused. That's how bad that subject is. <laughs> I read that over and over again, and it's still, I still think, oh, is that a homonym or a homograph? Hold on. Graph means written, uh, yeah. So, don't feel bad if you don't remember either. One of the reasons we're bringing you all these clips, apart from being our third birthday, because we just we can't believe how many episodes that we've actually done. But we are getting uh, um, new listeners to the podcast every uh, time, um, every time we put out an episode which is great uh, and of course there is this back catalogue so if there are bits from all these episodes you uh, you like then you can go back and uh, find these episodes for us and of course now not only can are we on Podomatic on iTunes and all the other things we're on Spotify as well which uh, we are, yes. I think we're both quite pleased that we yeah, yeah. We've, so you, we've made it onto Spotify. So with being on Spotify, it means you can listen to us in all kinds of places. You know, like you know, so I have Spotify on my PS4, and you know, it's going to be on your on your phone and everywhere. So. Yeah, there's no excuse, is there, Sean? No excuse. Or no excuse or no escape, one of the two. I just, I just kind of, kind of, kind of, who wakes up in the morning going, well, you know, I've got my PS4, what shall I play? Oh, you know what? No, I won't play. I'll listen to the Temple Commute. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, but you can listen to Spotify while you're playing games. So, Sean, we can't start talking about games and stuff because we'll get carried away. So, there should be another podcast for that. Yeah, that's how... Hmm, well, if you're gay. Uh, anyway, uh, poor James. I mean, he, James often often has to keep uh, Lindsay and I on the uh, straight uh, yes. narrow and tries to keep us on on topic. Mm. Uh, 
uh, again when we're recording we have an open thing um a kind of discussion board where he can type to us and he does his best uh not only to keep us on track but also to make uh, Lindsay and i sound like we're uh, reasonably intelligent um the number of takes and stuff we do and one of the other things he has to do is actually keep us separated when uh we do one of our features and uh do you want to talk about that feature james yeah so you're talking about teffel fights right which I still think I'm winning 2-1. Uh, you are, I'm yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so in Teffel Fights, we uh, we pitch uh, the two guys against each other with a particular topic, and they have to do, have to try and... Uh, I have to decide who who's right and and who loses the fight. So it's always it's always fun because they don't they have very little time, and so that it's just fun funny to listen to them going a mile a minute to try and get their arguments in, and I'm sitting there in judgment, which is obviously a very nice position for me. So uh, <laughs> should we listen to an example, Sean? Yeah, here's one from episode, the first episode of season four, I think. Welcome to a new feature here on the Tefl Commutes, Tefl Fights. I'm joined here now by Sean and Lindsay, who are going to battle it out to decide who's right and who's wrong. So how does this work? Well, firstly, our first com combatant will speak for one minute, putting forward their arguments, and then our second combatant will come back with their arguments for another one minute. Then they'll have both have 30 seconds to reply to each other. After that, I, your judge, will decide Who's the winner? Okay, so let's get started. Which you know will be me. The, you know I'm the winner. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Our topic today is which is better, first lessons or last lessons? Going first is Lindsay, who will be arguing that first lessons are the best lessons you can have. So go ahead, Lindsay. Take it away. Okay, I'm going to argue that first classes, uh, first lesson with a group of students is much better than a last lesson for uh, three or four main reasons. The first one is a curious one. I would argue that one is almost always better prepared for a first class. I think it sounds strange because you don't know the students, but I argue this makes you prepare more. So you don't know what to expect. The nervousness means that you always have plenty of stuff ready. You aren't used to them that much so that you can just wing it. Whereas a last class, you might just wing it. Second reason, the preparation doesn't have to be that much. You've got the beginning admin stuff to get through, the obligatory getting to know you activities which can take up a big chunk of time, answering questions and so on. Also, if you've been teaching for a while, you probably have several first class go-to activities as well up your sleeve. So this uh, means that you're, you'll be much more prepared with a whole bunch of stuff to do. Third, the students have not yet heard your favorite jokes, your old stories, your favorite activities, unless they've had you as a teacher before. So if you want to bring out all your best party tricks and look like a star, you'll be able to do that on the first day. On the last day, they maybe have heard your jokes, they've heard your stories several times. That's it. Four. Right, now, Sean, now it's over to you. Sean will be arguing that last classes are the best classes to have. Okay, Sean, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. 
Well, there's uh, some rather unsurprising arguments put forward by Lindsay. Let's look at the first lesson. The only adjective we could ever attribute to a first lesson is excitement. Without walking into the class for the first time, yes, it's a good quality. But think of the other adjectives that a first lesson brings. A lot of negativeness, a lot of nervousness, a lot of apprehension. Will they like me? Will I like them? As the adage goes, first impressions count. And this one, this first impression is going to last about 40 weeks. Imagine the horror when you're stuck at the stuck with the class clown, the major disruptor for the next few months. The last lesson, on the other hand, is adios amigos, bye-bye, you've survived another year, and you can feel the positivity course through your body. To that end, the first lesson is actually the beginning of the end, where the last lesson is the beginning of the beginning. Walk into your first lesson of the year and say goodbye to summer, say goodbye to stress, uh, stress few weeks, say goodbye to watching television, bring on the extracurricular marking, planning and grading. Who could possibly argue that in that context, the first lesson is better? Now on to the first class itself. How dull is the first lesson? So boring, so rote. In the last lesson, you've got challenge. Are the students going to be motivated? Will they turn up? Um, what will you do with them? Are they going to be demob happy? And finally, of course, in the last lesson, you get presents. Time up. Okay, okay so... That was pretty good. That was pretty good, but I have an answer. Okay, so go ahead, Lindsay. Over to you for your 30-second repost. Okay, so sure, the first day must be might be stressful in the lead-up, as Sean was saying, but it almost always goes better than you expect. That's because you've got a positive, most people, the students and the teacher, have a positive expectation bias. Another way to look at this is like a new president or a new prime minister, there's always a honeymoon period after an election. You have a honeymoon period as a teacher at the beginning, and you haven't seen the troublemakers yet. Whereas at the end of the lesson, you're like in the sunset of your term as a prime minister, leader, teacher, whatever, and you also know the troublemakers, they bothering you whatever you just can't wait to get it over with okay. second that's time i'm i'm quite surprised by that argument is there somebody that's involved in teacher training oh, okay hold, surely hold, hold on oh, hold on one second <laughs> hold on one second i've got to got to rein this in you know i've got to keep some control oh, all right in, all right know? okay i've got to respect the format sean come on i was i was rebooting okay you ready to go yep okay off you go that's a, that's a really tired argument, Lindsay, to be honest. I mean, as a teacher trainer, surely you know that the challenge comes in the unexpected. There's nothing unexpected about the first lesson. There's, I mean, it's almost, I mean, the only thing that what you change in the first lesson year on year is maybe the activity. It's like a first world teaching problem where you just know what's going to happen. The last class brings skill. It brings challenge. It's the class that really shows what a teacher you are. And, and from that basis, I can't, the last lesson has to win hands down every time. I mean, the students in the beginning, as you say, motivated the end no motivation if i can motivate that class then surely it shows uh, what a good teacher fine. i am okay well there you go thank you guys very interesting arguments i th i i you both of you have some very persuasive points of view but i think uh i think i'm most persuaded by that idea that sean said of those tv shows that you won't be able to watch anymore <laughs> so, the winner is Sean. Yes! Oh, the whole thing is rigged. This is rigged <laughs> from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I'm not going to make a big thing of this. I will congratulate my opponent. I thought he made some good arguments. I still believe I'm right. That a first well, class is better than a last class. Well, each of their own. 
<laughs> I will go off, go forward into season four as the fight champion. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody, listeners. That was our first Tuffle fight, moderated by James Taylor, uh, at, with myself and Sean in each corner. It's something that, if you enjoy, we hope to do again this time uh, or other times with guest speakers. So stay tuned for next fights. If you have a topic that you think would be fun to have people fight about on the Tuffle commute, let us know on our Facebook page. So, Sean, would I be right in thinking that you chose that one because you won? Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe I mean, well, I mean, well, let's be fair. As I as I said, I, I won more of them than him. Yeah, so, to be fair, it's um, two it two was, wins, one defeat, and a draw so far. Right, your record. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've I, recovered I, I, from I, the draw yet. You were so upset about that. I, well, I you know. I, I, I know that you were appeasing Lindsay, uh, so I, I, I have my peace with that. I actually, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, I like the feature. What I, what is really tricky is writing. I mean, is writing something for that's only going to last a minute and try to get your argument in a minute yeah. uh, for it. And um, it's an activity actually. I must try. I I keep reminding myself. I must try it with my students because you think you you can do it and it's so so tricky. And I, I was probably the thing I rehearsed the most for in in the in the commute because you re- it's you kind rehearse? of timing it down. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to. I think Lindsay would say the same. Yeah. You actually go reading. I time myself through because I write it down. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't script Tafel Commute. No. We, we kind, we kind of know what we research it and know what we're going to include, but we don't script it. But the fight is scripted in the sense of what we say in our minute, yeah. um, and getting it down to a minute is 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 such hard work, but it's so much fun. Um, so yeah, so uh, yeah, I, that's why we're on the annoyance of of. Uh, of Lindsay, um, I think one of the things that I annoy him most with uh, is is my um, tendency to drop in. <laughs> uh, I'll say jokes. Yeah. Um, uh, don't you start? <laughs> no, no, I enjoy them very much, mainly because of how much they annoy Lindsay. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so from our alphabet episode, here's a, a drop in because we like to drop in little bits of YouTube here and there. So here's a YouTube clip followed by Lindsay suffering some of my jokes. A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y and Z. Now I know my A B C. Come along and sing with me. I'll never remember that. How does it go again? A B C D E F G. That'll do. No, it won't do. A B C D E F G. A B C D E F G. H I J K L M N O P. That's a bit I'll struggle with. It's too much. Do you mind? Uh, do you mind if I give you some alphabet jokes? I'll go on. Well, actually, the first one I'm going to give you is not a joke, but it's, I think it's one of my favourite one-line. Well, it is a joke, but I've, uh, it's you know in the Edinburgh Fringe, you've heard of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, where yes. all the comedians go, and every year they rate the the, the, the one-liners that they have there. And this was from last year's show. Um, uh, I can't remember who said it, but I'll put it on the website. So I'm good friends with 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know why. I think that's a brilliant one-line joke. Think about it, people. <laughs> right here you go. Okay. I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you a question, and you can tell me the answer. Okay. So how many let, how many letters are there in the alphabet? Twenty six. No, eleven. 
Why? The alphabet. T H E A L. There you go. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, All right. Hurry up. <laughs> what, what letter of the alphabet has got lots of water? Uh, I don't know. The C. Oh my God! What? Okay. what oh, come on, come on, come on. Which, All right. Which two words contain the most? I've only got six. I'll pick my favorite six. Which two words contain the most? Le- uh, yeah. Which two words contain the most letters? Um, I, I, I don't know. Post office. All right. One more before you get really angry at me. Why? <laughs> why is the letter E like London? Why is the letter E like London, John? Because it's the capital of England. <laughs> oh my god! Actually, that one isn't so bad. Okay. You can also see the annoyance. You see, you can hear the annoyance <laughs> in his voice. It's always <laughs> funny. It never, it's never not funny. That. <laughs> no, but I don't know if it's. I mean, I don't know if it's funny to listen. It's funny to me because it just winds him up. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, oh, I'm being mean. Um, actually, I've been so mean that why don't we kind of, as we're coming towards an end of this podcast, let's go to something which we, did, which kind of we put in the beginning, but we never did. If we go back all the way, if we don't do any more, rather, if we go all the way back to uh, the first episode, uh, no, the second episode, uh, it was on stationery, and Lindsay came up with this idea of, of actually being informative. So uh, <laughs> Lindsay wrote a monologue, uh, and he wrote a monologue about a pen. Uh, so just because we miss Lindsay and his voice hasn't been on this uh, podcast episode much, here's a Lindsay monologue. So the first patent, though, for a different kind of pen, a ballpoint pen, is in 1880 to a guy called John J. Loud. So one could argue that he was the inventor of the of the ballpoint pen. Um, in fact, the patent records would show... Uh, However, he his his invention didn't really take off. He was more interested in a pen that would write on leather. And there wasn't a lot of call for other writing on leather in that style. So it isn't until um, the 19, uh, late 1920s, early 1930s, that all of a sudden, a newspaper editor from Hungary, frustrated by filling up fountain pens and cleaning smudged pages, created a new pen that combined a different kind of ink with a ball socket mechanism, all right? And that's Laszlo Biro in Hungary. So, yes, he was the inventor of, like, the, 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 the more recognized one, but he didn't file the first patent. He filed his patent in 1938 uh, and was living in Germany at the time, but then during the war, they left Germany, him and his brother, and moved to Argentina, where they formed a company, Biro Pens of Argentina. So... Make the pen, uh, file a patent, and then, oh, got to get out of there. Uh, war is coming. They go to Argentina. Their pen is sold in Argentina under the name Bayrome or Birome. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but peop- uh, according to a couple of sources, people in Argentina still call these kind of pens Byromes or Byromes. Maybe uh, we can get some feedback on that on the Facebook page or on our, on our blog. Anyway. The next chapter in the story of the of the ballpoint pen is that it's so it's getting widely used in Argentina, and some uh, some British um, people find out about it there, um, and it gets the attention of the RAF, um, the Royal Air Force, which had been experimenting which uh, with um, fountain pens in planes, but they were finding as the plane uh, as uh, in in RAF planes. 
uh, people, uh, whatever, writing, I suppose, writing on maps or things like that. And fountain pens, the pen would explode or the ink would flow or it made such a huge mess. So they became the first ones to order large amounts of ballpoint pens to be used in RAF planes. What do you think? I, I, that kind of reminds me of the the story of um, the, the space pen, like NASA spent millions trying also, to do a pen. I also read that, that apparently that's a bit of a, an urban myth that NASA spent millions trying to make a, a, a space pen. Um, uh, although there was one, a, a pen company spent a lot of money trying to make a space pen, but they'd never been asked to do it by NASA. So I think they partly spread that thing. But again, this whole idea of like the kind of pen that you could write in high altitude or in zero gravity kind of thing. I but isn't the answer to that, use a pencil? Exactly. Well, that's what I thought. I was like, if you're an RAF guy and you're, 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 you're flying over Germany, um, it's World War II and everything, and the ink's going everywhere, I'd just be screaming, give me a pencil. Get rid of this. Just just use a pencil. Of course, the pencils in space, uh, they didn't, the uh, NASA uh, had pencils in space, but then they got worried that like if it kind of, if a little bit chipped off uh-huh. in the gravity, it would just fly around. It could fly into someone's eye. And there were also apparently... Um, fears that uh, little chips of pencil, bits of pencil, would create a fire in a spacecraft. So pencils were, uh, they designed special kind of space pencils, which I couldn't find any pictures of, um, and then used uh, other ballpoint pens. So my story is only halfway there for the people who wanted longer stories. Um, the uh, the story of the pen continues um because these original pens sold to the military, to the RAF, were really expensive. Um but uh, the public sold uh, pens were also quite expensive. And in the United States, another company started making them called Reynolds. Their pens cost $10 each. Uh, and they were, uh, they were marketed as the first pen to write underwater, uh, upside down, etc. Um, and they were called like the new, they were so expensive because they were deemed new technology. Um, and the first person to make pens really cheap is this French guy called Marcel Biche in 1945. Um, and he kind of bought this factory to make these pens, which uh, he designed like the uh, the Bic pen. You know the the design of the Bic pen, the, 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 the clear glass and yeah. the blue cap, which is actually in the Smithsonian Museum as a landmark in design. He was the guy who designed those pens, and he managed to, um, he called the pens Bic after his name, B-I-C-H, but just B-I-C was the pen. Um, and they started, then he started flooding the American market with these super, super cheap pens. Uh, and the, his marketing line was rights, rights, writes well the first time, every time, I think. I'll need to check that again. So there you go. Uh, from the very early beginnings, from the fountain pen to John J. Loud to Laszlo Biro to Reynolds and the expensive pens in the States to finally the big pens. Uh, and, and that's my little potted history of the pen. So, Sean, do you think we should uh, bring back a Lindsay monologue or do you think we hear enough of his voice? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if he listens to this episode and see what he says when he gets to this point in the yeah. in the in the listening. I know it was. I, I mean, we do have Lindsay doing quotes and things like that from it, but we don't. But he, that was a researched and written monologue uh, which he had uh, done. So, yeah, I think I think we're I think yes. we're good as we are. 
Yeah, I think we'll probably survive. <laughs> but if we need to bring back a feature, then we got back the monologue. Sure. So anyway, three years, three years, seven well, season seven, over forty odd episodes for people to enjoy. We started it. I mean, we did this purely mainly because we're podcast addicts yeah. uh, and it's amazing to think that we've been making them for for three years now and we and to be fair we have quite a, a reasonably sized audience that hopefully enjoy what we do it's it's very strange now that people come up to say to me and say oh i listen to the devil commute and you think oh that's nice because yeah. it is after all our hobby but so i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna wrap it up i think by my bit up by you know thanking everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed those clips and it makes you want to go back and listen to some more of our episodes and of course we're in season seven so there's a lot to come up uh from it uh and james thank you for always making me sound reasonably good well i you know i, I try my best there's there's only so much i can do sean but you know i can <laughs> work some magic so yeah and uh yeah it's 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 amazing that it's been three years already and I, I, we still really enjoy really enjoy doing the podcast it's a it's a real labor of love for us and uh yeah i think um I think I'd like to thank everyone, everyone else for listening as well, and uh, you know, tell your friends. And uh, we look forward to to doing more episodes as the years continue. So we'll see you for the, the years I don't know, continue. fifth fifth anniversary. <laughs> for the sixth year, fifth year, sixth year, fifth. Yeah, oh, well, let's, let's go for the let, ten, the the four, the ten years. I don't know. <laughs> let's go for the live in front of audience episode. That's I think that's, that's the next thing to yeah, tick off on the podcast. That's definitely going to live. Yeah, the live one, the live tour. No, okay. Right. Anyway, folks, uh, I hope, as I say, I hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode brought to you by James and I. Obviously, go find us on Spotify, Podomatic you can find the show notes and everything and all the um, all the activities written out on tefelcommute.com thanks so much for listening I'll see you when we get back to the normal season in the next episode bye for now bye everyone Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you.